0: Go in your Bibles this morning, we're going to Galatians, we're in the chapter 6, we're coming down to the end of our study of this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian churches. These churches that he loved, he planted And then in came teachers who tried to add to the gospel. They tried to add other things. They were saying, well, you have to become, you have to convert into being a physical Jew and go through these certain uh, dietary restrictions. And here are the days of feasting if you want to be a good Christian. And Paul is writing as forcibly he can to say it's Christ alone. It's by grace alone. It is by faith alone that we are saved, we are made right in God's sight. His first two chapters, he gives a personal defense, he tells his own story. Chapters three and four, he gives a theological defense. And in chapters five and six, it's practical application of, it's the so what? How does this work? How, how are we changed as the people of God if we have been radically saved by Grace. The primary role of the Spirit is to magnify Christ. If you've ever come by this church building at night, there are spotlights on the building. One of them is out right now. Usually there's two. And what it does is they're kind of tucked in behind the sign. The spotlights are not attracting attention to themselves. The spotlights are putting light on the building and on the steeple and even up to the cross. Next door is the youth house. That has a light fixture. You walk by too closely with your dog, it'll come on. And you see the light, and you kind of have to look away from the light, and it does share, you know, a little light around and light up but you see the light bulb. A floodlight, if it's properly placed, you don't see the light, you see what it is illuminating. So as we come to the work of the Spirit, and it keeps unfolding in our lives and in this teaching, the role and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to magnify Christ. It's so that we see Christ in all of his beauty, in all of his wonder, in all of his glory, so that we feel the weight of his glory and we respond in the only appropriate response and that is worship. So in some churches, they're afraid of the Holy Spirit. They won't hardly mention the Holy Spirit because things might get out of hand and people might you know, start jumping aisles. And so we just, we just you know, sing, right? let's all stay proper. And that's a ditch over here on this side. And then there's other churches, they never quite make it to the study of the word because it's such an emphasis on emotional and just the, the all that may be going on. And we never grow, but we are really emotional. There's a ditch over there. We need to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit because the ministry of the Holy Spirit can do what no organized system of rules of do's and rules of don'ts will ever accomplish. Legalism. This is what Paul is appealing to. That when we are filled by the Spirit of God, it changes how we conduct our lives. And that is that we are stewards The ministry of the Spirit, we expose the works of the flesh. We experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We exemplify gospel community. This is where we have been. And last week's message, it came out in, how do we deal with a brother or a sister who's overtaken in a fault? You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you're also tempted. And we bear one another's burdens, and we fulfill the law of Christ, and we are each called and must bear our own load. There's a load that rests on me this morning and that is to accurately and faithfully deliver the word of God. And there is a load that rests on you this morning and that is to accurately receive and humbly receive the word of God. And together we bear a burden, and that is it can't be accomplished through human means, but the Holy Spirit can do what we cannot do, and we bear this burden together, and it flows right in, and in the context of the church, it flows into what do we do with our time? What do we do with our talents? What do we do? Where do we invest our resources? That's what Paul is writing. And the word that we use when we talk about Corey and Amy Fifield... When we talk about Isaac and Gloria Shah, and I'm hoping they get to come visit us in May. When we talk about the bandas in Africa, we talk about any of our mission partnerships, we use the word partnership. That we're in this together. And when I was in Africa and I stood with my video camera beside the well that now was a hole partially filled in because it, stopped working. They had to find a different well. And Harrison took me out there and he said, right here, Pastor Brian, this is where I dug the hole. Put You stand over there with the video camera. You record me and I want to tell the story. And he said, I was down in the hole. And when I got to the point that I was beyond my own ability, they had to tie a rope around me. You remember him telling the story? I shared it by video. And he said, I went down in the hole and there were people up on top and they were holding the rope so that they could pull me back out. And I'm telling you, this is a scary looking hole. It was dangerous. And he dug, I think 25 feet down, he dug to get water because without water, they don't live. And he said, this is how I see partnerships. That we're here in Africa, but you're holding the rope for us wherever you are. We're in the Richmond area, and we're holding the rope. We're partnered in this. And I want to call our attention to the lack of understanding of partnerships. And when people are consumer-driven and not partner-minded, then if this church stops meeting my needs, I go to that church. And if that stops, then I go to that church. And church hopping abounds everywhere, and it doesn't understand, and it absolutely perverts the understanding of partnerships in Scripture. And beloved, it is not without, are you listening to me? It's not without harm. It's not without fallout. It's not without effect on our children. It's not without effect in the community testimony that goes out from a place of, are they filled with the spirit of God or do they function like other organizations? And as we look into this partnership, here is where Paul is now separated. He separated the false teachers, but there are teachers that were put in place. Something has happened to the love between the people who are being taught and the teachers and it's, and it's, dwindling. The partnership is struggling. So Paul is writing and he has an application and it's his last instruction to the Galatian churches before he just closes with final thoughts and he's appealing them. It's the so what? This has everything to do with not just our giving, this is our lives. And so he writes Galatians chapter six, look at verse six. commentator's trying to understand, does six go with the next section or does six go with the section ahead of it? Yes. It's a bridge. It's connected. So verse five, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one, okay, so now this is personal, who is taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. You remember how this chapter started? Brothers. Family. What are you going to do with your family when you don't get along? (laughs) They're your family. And a good father says, work it out. Right? This is the word of God. And so we come humbly to the word of God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand. I want you to know, when Paul writes to these Galatians, he is not fatalistic. Well, they're they're so far gone that I don't think there's any hope, you bunch of losers. He's writing convinced of the power of the Holy Spirit and the power in the word of God that as this letter comes to them that they would actually be changed, That they were thinking this, and they hear the word of God read, the spirit changes their mind and heart, and they leave saying, I was thinking wrongly. And that letter has changed me, and you put them together collectively, it changed the church, and there's multiple churches. The churches would be radically changed. He's calling them to action. He is not guilting them. He's not using heavy-handed tactics. That should never motivate or instruct on how you give. There will never be a letter that comes from the church or from the elders that we have examined how much you make. We FOIA'd your, you know, your, your, uh, how much you make on your job, and so here's the amount that you owe. no. This is between you and God and we will all answer to God one day for all that he has blessed us with and what we have done with it. Time, talent, and treasure. Is it your prayer this morning that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit? Like a personal Lord, I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to quench your spirit. I want to be one who is saying, yeah, come Holy Spirit. Meet with us. Flood this place. Like, show your glory. Let us feel the weight of the glory of Christ. Really. Change us. Make us more like Christ. This is the aim. This message, next Sunday's message, here's here's what I'm swinging for, okay? This is swinging for the fences. What does a spirit-filled church look like? What does our stewardship look like when we're filled with the Spirit of God? Are you ready to engage in this? I want you to be engaged. I want you to have your Bible out. I want you to be taking down notes. I want you to be writing this down and letting the Spirit write onto your heart. What does it look like when a people are filled with the Spirit of God? What does their stewardship look like? Number one, They're generous. We're generous in our giving. Can we just ask that question? Can you ask yourself, am I generous or am I stingy? Am I generous with my time or am I stingy? My talent? Am I generous? Stingy. Treasure? Listen, giving to the work of the Lord is so much more than just cutting a check. Yes, there are ways, and you can give online when you're iced in to continue the the meeting the needs of the church. There are ways to do that, but it's not paying a bill. It's not just dropping money in a plate. To rightly understand, it's worship. It's worship that we give to the Lord. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus is the one who said in Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there will your your heart be also. We know this, don't we? People will do what they want to do. They will finance travel sports. They will finance an extra home. They will finance vacation. They'll finance. They'll do whatever they want to do. They'll get there. They'll be there. Proven a point? Just watch a football game in sub-zero temperatures. And they're out there like, oh, yeah. All the... Snow and ice and everything on the beard. they like, yeah, I was there. Nobody's twisted any arms. That's their heart. That's their team. They're going to be there. People will do, you and I will do, what we want to do. Where your treasure is, that's where you find your heart. So Paul writes, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And this, this word for share is the word, uh, it's where we get koinonia, it's fellowship, koinoneo is the word, you, you share, okay, so the one teaching is sharing, the one being taught is sharing, it's, it's much more than getting paid a salary and that's just it and that's the responsibility and that's as far as it goes. Do not be deceived, verse 7 says. God is not mocked. That word is a strong word. It's like uh, uh, turning up the nose. You know, mocked. It's scorned. It's it's that outwardly you're presenting, you know, uh, one, but inwardly in the heart, it's not connected. It's not saying the same thing. So let's look this morning, first of all, at the personal responsibility of the teacher. And you could really say that in this, it's the load, all right? Let each one bear his own load, his own responsibility, that there's a responsibility and it is a heavy responsibility that rests upon the person charged with teaching the word. I was talking to someone, a friend, in ministry. He went to visit a family member. His family member that he was visiting said, come with me. Let's go to this church. It's amazing. He went and he said, and she asked him afterwards, it was a brother. said, what'd you think about that service? And you're like, yeah, that was a great, wasn't that a great sermon? And he was like, yeah, that was a great sermon. And then talking to me, he said, I heard that sermon word for word. It was preached by somebody in a, you know, national ministry. And he's like, that was a great sermon. The second time around by somebody else with no citing of the reference of, this sermon is actually prepared by somebody else. And I took their sermon and I'm just giving it to you. That's shirking the load. The load rests upon the teacher to study the text, bring the text, and bring how it's changing us to the people. It's a heavy load. It's a fellowship. The teacher must give, must share his best in the fellowship of the gospel ministry. What are the responsibilities? One, teach the word. To teach the word. The New Testament is so clear on this. This is our first distinctive, Christ-centered preaching. How does this text point us to Jesus? Jesus. How are we changed when we see the glory of Christ? When Peter was restored, John 21, you remember he denied Jesus three times. And when they're by the seashore, do you remember Jesus as he was really getting to Peter's heart? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Did Peter get the lesson? Well, first Peter 5 says he did. Shepherd the flock of God who is among you serving. He remembered that. He never forgot Jesus saying, "I'm not going to throw you away." Yes, you failed. You denied me. I told you you would. You said you wouldn't. You said you'd die with me. You didn't. You denied me. I'm not done with you. I have a responsibility, and it's a heavy responsibility. It's a task. It's a load that will be on you, but I will be with you. Feed my sheep. That's the responsibility of a teacher. Not to teach men's ideas, not to teach the latest whatever, not to tell stories, on and on. Teach the word for the word is what will last. This is a partnership. This is a fellowship. And this partnership can either be characterized by joy in all situations and circumstances, or it can be a partnership that's characterized by sorrow, by difficulty, by hardship, by strain. The teacher, 1 Timothy 3.2, must be able to teach. The elder... There's a task, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. In years gone by, we've studied 1 Timothy, we have studied studied 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I won't stay long here, but I just want to read enough of the New Testament text for us to to grasp again, what, what is the expectation on the teacher, on the pastor, on the shepherd elder? 1 Timothy 4. Paul writing to Timothy, the younger man, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words and faith and of the good doctrine or teaching that you have followed. Okay, so Timothy, you're not going to come up with just something new. You've been handed the baton, the truth, handed to the next generation that hands it to the next generation. Verse 7 says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and here it is again, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the, here it is, teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why? Why? because faith comes by hearing Romans 10:17 says and hearing by the word of Christ the word of God so Paul is telling Timothy stay by the stuff don't depart from the faith if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 now Paul's life is drawing to a close these are some of his final words He's writing to Timothy, he loves his son in the faith and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When is that? Always. You're either in season or you're out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort With complete patience and here it is teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This rests upon the man of God. Fulfill your ministry. And now we have YouTube. And now we have all types of social media with all types of anybody from anywhere, generally not under the authority of a local church, leading people away left and right into all kinds of teaching. State of the truth. Teach the word. The writer of Hebrews, if just a little ways further to you right in the Bible, Hebrews 13. Verse seven says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And someone could easily say after verse seven of Hebrews 13, wait a second. My leaders, my pastor, my teacher, he's not perfect. He let me down. He, he failed me. He, he, whatever. And verse 8 follows timely. Remember Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can't have a pastor be Jesus. We can be his hands and his feet, but so can you. But we're not perfect. We're not a substitute for Jesus. We're just representative. We're an ambassador for Christ. So Paul, so the writer of Hebrews, if you drop down to verse 15 says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Okay, so here you have our praise, here you have what we're saying, here you have what we're speaking, our worship, our song, all that we do in praise to the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. That's empty, empty. If it's only that, be warmed and filled and, and God loves you and you are loved, but there's got to be, there's got to be action to that. That's what verse 16 says. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Beloved, that day is coming. So my responsibility and anyone's responsibility, last week it was tasked to Jamie, Jamie, we have no idea. I plan to be standing here next Sunday. We have no guarantees of that. Whoever stands behind this pulpit with the Word of God has the responsibility of saying, This is the Word of God. Let's read it. Let's explain it. And let's obey it. That's what we do in our small groups. That's when we get together and say, so we understand what God has told us to do, how he's revealed himself to us. Now, how do we obey this? And I need to pray for you, and you need to pray for me. And we're walking through the blessings and burdens of life, but we're not to walk alone. We're not to walk in isolation. So we lead by example. That's a responsibility, labor among you, This is what the pastor, teacher, the elders, and are over you in the Lord admonish you. They work, lead by example. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says. And not only that, but for the teacher, sow and reap spiritual things. Okay, this is the problem of a teacher who's always chasing culture, always dealing with just culture and what's what's new and what's fashionable. That doesn't mean we need to be out of step and totally disconnected and we don't know anything of culture, but we are to change culture through the gospel. Sow and reap spiritual things, sharing all good things. So this is how the partnership works. The teacher is sharing spiritual things, eternal things. It's the word of God that endures and abides forever. And then there's another side, and that's those who are receiving the word. This is why we worship together, we walk together, and we work together. So, beloved, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Perhaps in these Galatian churches, the giving has gone down because there's so much confusion, there's so much fighting. And when it comes to giving, it's hard to have your heart in giving when everyone's divided up. People are saying this about that teacher and people are saying that about the other teacher and well, how can you trust? And trust is out the window and Paul is writing to say, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the heart. Let's go back to the word. And he writes to them and appeals to them. This word mocked. Okay, as a church, we've seen our giving ebb and flow. We've seen it over the years. I've been here 13 years up, and we've seen it go down. We've gone through good times of blessing, and we've gone gone through difficult times. What we do not do is, oh, it's been about a few weeks of bad weather, and the giving is a little down because people weren't here to give. I have it. Let's preach on giving, and let's get people all fired up, and let's get, no. We just take the next text in line, and the Spirit of God does the work, and the Lord will meet the need. We believe this, right? This is what was next up. This is the pitch that the word of God throws. So we swing for the fences. And we rightly understand this. And to say that God is not mocked, when Paul says this, this word mock, to be mocked, is an outward avowal of respect neutralized by an indirect expression of contempt. This is Woost's definition an outward avowal of respect. Neutralized by an indirect expression of contempt. God will not be mocked. What is external, he sees it. What is internal, he sees it. He will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We want to invite you to pray. A God-sized prayer request for this congregation: that this year in 2020, that God will provide and make a way for the current loan that we have on the office and property. We're making payments just fine, but we have a vision to the future of what God will do in and through this congregation. Ninety-six thousand dollars. I'm inviting you to join me in fasting and prayer, however that works out, and we say, God, will you meet that need? I don't know if that's 96 people giving $1,000. I don't know if that's one person saying, here's $96,000, let me take care of that. I don't know how that works, but I know God who owns everything, and I'm inviting you to say, God, will you do in this year the impossible? Because there are people who need the message of the gospel and you have graced this church in a unique way with the people that you have brought. Will you supply? We're meeting with the architect. We're in two facilities right now trying to maintain two different properties, 10 acres there and whatever this is here with two buildings and a garage. Lord, our church has owned that property for almost 30 years. Let it be in our generation we accomplish something there and then opens up to thousands of people that live within 30 Mile and Gratiot that they would hear the gospel and would come to know Christ and feel the weight of his glory and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and in their marriages and in their families and in their workplace, and they begin to see what God alone can do. I heard a testimony of one of our members this week, a recent convert, and he was working on a new job in a new place, and somebody came in. They said, are you a Christian? He's like, yeah, I could tell. I could see something different in you. And now there's two Christians. It's like, there weren't any other Christians here. And I sense God's at work in you. Now there's a brother in Christ in a workplace and they pass at different times. We want to see more of God working in our lives, changing lives for His glory. To see another elder added on in leadership in this congregation in this year. That's intentional praying, intentional work on our part that we see God provide and we see him work as we sow into the eternal. Now let's look at the personal responsibility, the load of those taught. You see, as Jesus would teach, he would teach at times, there was crowds, multitudes, and he would preach. But then he would withdraw and he would have the 12 and he would invest into the 12. And then at least three different times, he said, Peter, James... And John, come with me. Everybody else, stay back. And he invested into three. And this is community. This is what it looks like. We have a message for the masses. We gather in small groups. And then there's a, there's a kinship. It's even in the eldership that we can share, that we can know and be known and grow in grace together. I desire that for each member's life. That kind of a relationship. There's a responsibility for those who are fed the word they're invited into the joy of giving their best for the health and the furtherance of gospel ministry that as we as spiritual teachers we share what we've learned we share the truth of God's word the eternal things and then those who are being taught they share in the practical things it's a partnership it's not just a job it's a ministry it's a fellowship to receive the ministry of the word That's a responsibility that rests on you. That you are coming ready. See, this is very different than going to hear a speech, going to a rally, and someone's gonna speak. And and if they move you and they fire you up, then you know, here I go, and I'm gonna whatever, wipe out my debt. I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna get in shape because they convinced me. That's not what preaching is. Preaching is The Holy Spirit of God, through His Word, works in the heart and life of a teacher, changing that individual, bringing it to a congregation. The Holy Spirit knows every single thing about you, all your blessings and burdens, all everything, knows everything, and then puts it together to make us more like Christ. This is a partnership, this is a fellowship. So receive the ministry of the word. Do you know right now, evangelical, the statistics of evangelicals in our nation, do you know how many, what their attendance is right now? In a month, 1.5. Now it's kind of like the statistic of... um, how many children, you know, our, our homes are having? You know, like 1.5 or whatever. Like, well, who's the .5? You know, I'm like the half a kid. That's me. You know, no brain, just me. I don't know how they get the point numbers in the statistics, but that's what it is. One and a half times a month. That, if you take it over the year, that's about 17 Sundays, Lord's Day, the Lord's Day, where people who claim to be Christians are in fellowship. Do you know how many meals are being left? uneaten in that way? How much fellowship is being missed? And that's not to say that there's not illness and other things. I understand all the, that's just the statistic and it's not increasing as people are sowing more and more into the flesh and less and less does the glory of God bear any weight in their lives. To receive the word implies that you're there. Unless providentially hindered, the Lord's day is the day when I receive the word. Even if I'm not the one teaching. It's a priority. I'll let you work that out on what that means for you and how you respond in obedience and where you are in your spiritual walk. Another responsibility is to follow 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 the spirit-led under-shepherds. I love the word under-shepherds. My computer hates it. It's always throwing them red lines under it, like it doesn't like it. And I haven't added it into my dictionary yet. So it keeps on firing up. Every time I type under-shepherds, it's like, no, we don't recognize that word. Under-shepherds, we're shepherds, but we are are not all large and in charge. Jesus is the chief shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. He shepherds his sheep, and he does, through the shepherding, under-shepherds. It means we'll answer to him one day for everything said and everything done and every motive for which it was done, With it, which, however we did it. That's a weight. That's a load. And the load rests on you that you are responsible for what you hear. And Jesus says, be careful how you hear. Listen, if you are exhausted through the whole week and there's no time and you don't prepare your heart, then you come. And this, this, this message can be like a floodlight shining into your eyes if you're not coming ready and the soil is prepared and your hand is ready and your Bible is ready and your mind is ready and you're saying, God, speak to me today. Make me more like Christ today. Show me my sin. Show me my Savior. Show me how much you love me in Christ that you have freely given him. And if you've given Christ, Romans 8.32 says, how will he now with him freely give us all things? So let me be convinced. Let me feel the weight of your love. Let me feel the weight of your glory and then live in light of that truth, which is very different than just a pump you up speech and the sermon from the pastor launches you into another week and hope you can make it till you get back here next Sunday and we'll fire it all up again and launch you out. No. It's more like laying a brick. Do you know what You know what? just weighs on me? I, you know, speaking last weekend at Lake Ann and Ken's speaking probably right now wrapping up, up at Lake Ann is I feel the weight of like trying to accomplish everything in four sermons. And I have to go back to, you can't. You're basically laying four bricks of truth into the lives of the hearers. And there are parents, and there are pastors, and there are teachers, and there are all of these individuals who have invested grandparents into these students', these children's lives. Just do your part, and God will see to it that it's enough. Follow the leadership. Follow the leadership by the Holy Spirit and for you to also sow and reap in the realm of the eternal. It's not just for us, but it's for you as well. That you share in the financial responsibility of your teachers. You examine the law of the harvest. So basically, if we, if we think about what Paul is saying they, here to the Galatians, they've got this confusion in the churches and perhaps, you know, the giving is just dried up. And so the ones that were appointed to teach and to preach, they're not able to make ends meet. So Paul is separating those who are sowing to the flesh, those who are of legalism and trying to get you into all their rules. Don't give to them. Give to that which is eternal. Can I ask you this morning, where are you investing your resources? Where are you investing your time, your talents, your treasures? And when you think about where, where am I spending my life, are you going to get a good eternal return on where you're investing your life? Are you spending your life or are you wasting your life? Are you investing your life? There's the two options. We can waste it or we can invest it. I want you to hear this sermon and, and allow time to reflect and to think and to pray and say, God, what areas am I, am I really wasting time? I only have so much time. Where where am I investing? How can I better invest my life into the eternal? Sowing generously into the lives of those who are faithfully faithfully teaching. That's what Paul is saying here. Listen to what John Piper says in his his sermon that became a book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says, but whatever you do, find the God-centered Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live for it and die for it and you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. I think if I asked a show of hands, how many here are you, your goal for 2020, waste 2020? Waste 2020. I don't think anybody would raise their hand. But if you look back at 2019, were there some days and some weeks that were like, ah, I don't think, I, I don't think anything eternal happened in those weeks. Now, you might be wrong. But let's plan for the glory of God. Listen to how David Platt and Tony Meredith say this of, of this partnership in giving it says by caring for the needs of the teacher, the church says we want the word of God taught faithfully and effectively so we will help support you. Care for those who teach, not out of obligation or tradition, but because you love the Word of God and want to see it spread to the ends of the earth. Isn't that why you give? We just came through the Christmas season. So many in this congregation gave in so many different ways. I had—I actually, my belt broke last week at camp. I, I, my, my, camp just did not start off good. Spilled my whole cup of coffee all over. Like that was morning one. It's like, oh, nice, you know, the whole coffee down, and then my belt broke. And I, I just—I'll pass a little blame because all the cookies and chocolates and, you know that you gave me, right? Not my fault. It was the woman you gave me, Adam said to the Lord. But uh, I had to get a new belt, you know, just out, out, I wore that one out. But thank you for all of your gifts. Thank you for the gift cards. Some of you gave beyond what I would say your ability to give and you just show Love. I just want you to know, on behalf of us, we receive that as love. And the ministry that we offer to the Lord and it comes to you, it's in love. Perfectly expressed, no. No. But we receive the love that you share, the ministry that we serve together in. We love you. We're thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. What about the tithe, someone might ask? Like, okay, so we're talking about giving. I've heard about tithing. Are you telling me that, you know, we should tithe? Well, let me ask you a question. All right? What's better, grace or the law? Answer, grace. Okay? Which is greater, grace or the law? So here's what it comes. In the, in the New Testament... The law, yes, that's Old Testament, the the law of the tithe, and it factored out to about 10% that that people would give to God and give to Him first. But in the New Testament, that the, the, the teaching of tithing is not canceled, but it's also not affirmed. Grace says, God, what have you given to me? The next question that can be asked is, Well, how much should I give? That's the wrong question. The right question from a spiritual heart is, how much am I able to give? Because the reality is, there are some people who cannot tithe. They don't have the wherewithal. They're, they're out of work. They, don't, they, they lost their income. They're on a fixed income, and, and the health care went up, and their rent went up, and they can't tithe. So what? God doesn't approve of me anymore? No. That that has nothing to do with that. The Lord knows your situation, but there are some people that a tithe they could do way more than that. And so it's each person seeking the heart of God, thankful for what he has done, and you are reasonable people. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You seek him. What is it that I should give? And if they gave 10 in the Old Testament and we've lived this side of the cross, then our giving ought to reflect that. What does the Old Testament say? In Malachi 3:10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be room, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there's no more need. And Philippians 4:19 in the New Testament says, And my God will supply every need according uh, to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So how much do I have to give? No, how much am I able to give? Proverbs 11, this is what it says in Proverbs. Now, understand with a proverb. A proverb is not A plus B equals C, okay? Live, you know, make wise decisions, long life. Not always. Jesus was crucified at age 30. It's, It's principles, okay? So they can't be applied in a wooden way. I read this verse, and I did that, and, and this is where prosperity teaching goes. Well. Sow the seed. If you give this much money, then the Lord will give you that much money back. No, it's not how it works, okay? This is, it's the law of, of the harvest, and this is where the farmer, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another one withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 11, 24. If a farmer goes out and says, man, it's been a really long winter, I'm not sure, and he puts, you know, five kernels of corn in the ground, he doesn't need to fire up any equipment in the fall. Okay? He's not saved himself anything. It's all in the barn, and now the rats are eating it all. He needs to go out and sow liberally all over the fields, and that's how, in the harvest time, he can go and there's going to be a harvest back. And the Lord understands and He knows how we are with his resources. So who are you going to give it to, the stingy or the generous? Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Then we simply give and we trust the Lord with the outcome. What about the New Testament? In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4, we don't have time to go through all these. We've gone through these. These sermons are uh, online. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4 follows the the amazing chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. Christ is risen from the dead. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then Paul comes off that massive mountain, and he says, now about that offering. You said you were going to give an offering to those who are suffering. Have you gotten on that yet? Because this theological mountaintop has a day-to-day practical implication that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And there are people that you can help Corinthians and you haven't helped them yet, but there's a delegation coming in 2 Corinthians 9, the grace of giving, and he talks about God loves a cheerful giver, and in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 there's where Paul lays out that the the elder who teaches the word and shares the word is worthy of double honor, you honor you know, the government, you honor uh, your person in the bank that holds your loan, and so the the scripture is teaching give honor to the word and whatever measure you're able to do and the Lord knows you seek his heart in this. I remember one year after camp, I think it was Emma that came home and she had spent all her money and I was like, what? You know, well, how did you spend all your money? Like, well, my friend needed some deodorant. (laughs) I was like, oh, good choice. Helped a friend out, you know, so I bought some deodorant, whatever. And, and, And she turned and not just all for herself, but it's shared, and that, that, that's happened in other ways. You know the difference if you're teaching a class, if you're with children, and you have candy and it's all handed out, and then here comes little Johnny in the door, and you have no more candy. Now you're suddenly looking there at the kids, and you're like, okay, we got one more, and I don't have any more candy. And the kids are sitting there like, this is my candy, this is mine. No, it's mine, you gave it to me. This happens every Wednesday night. And, Game time, doesn't it, Aaron, right? And they're like, that's my color. You have my ball. That's my ball. No, I don't want the pink ball. I want the... So there's the kids. They're like, oh, it's mine. How much different is it when a little guy walks in the door and one of the little students says, oh, teacher, Johnny just came in. Can I give him some of mine? If you're that teacher, what do you want to do? Where's more candy for that kid? Because it's worlds different in I want to share than it's mine. No mine, hoarding, whatever it may be. You know the difference, don't you? How are we maturing in our giving, in our sharing? We need the Holy Spirit to make Christ real and important to us. That when we look to Jesus as our pattern for generosity and giving, we are reminded that He gave Himself. Some of the scriptures are going to come up. We've studied this one in Galatians. All right, we'll... Come on, pass this. All right, I missed this. All right, give generously. From those passages I gave, give generously. And let me look at my notes. Let me go back right here. Give sacrificially, regularly, proportionately. Instead of saying, um, how, much, how much should I give? These are the principles that we see in those scriptures. How do I give? Generous, be sacrificial, regular, proportionate. You don't have to worry about what other people are giving around you. You seek God's heart for your giving. Now let's look to Christ. As the Holy Spirit makes Christ real in us and we look to him, think about what we've read in Gal- Galatians chapter one. Who gave himself for our sins. Speaking of Jesus, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gave himself. Galatians 2.20, Jamie preached this sermon. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, what does it say? Gave himself for me. Gave everything. Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So husbands, well, it's not Father's Day. What are you picking on us for? Because when we look to the example of Christ, Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. In what ways should we see the effect of the Holy Spirit work in our giving? What do you see in your attitude? I'll tell you something. This series has been challenging for me. When it comes to generosity, I'm much better at being generous when it's my plan on my schedule. When I'm planning to do something nice, when I'm planning to, oh, you know, I'll, I'll plan and I'll give a gift and this is where it is and here's the budget and all of that. You know where I'm really fleshly, selfish? It's when somebody else moves into my plan and says, hey, can we go over there and can we stop by there? I'd like to get a a coffee over there. Um, That that wasn't my plan. We were laughing about this last night. I walked in to the kitchen and there was chocolate-covered pecans that were in my stocking for Christmas. I'm the saver. Haven't eaten them yet. Took them to Lake Ann. Somebody in my family got into those. They were in my stocking. So uh, Ginger is like eating like one. I'm like, you ate all my pecans. She's like, I didn't eat all your pecans. I'm like, there's only one. I didn't have any of those. And we're, you know, joking about this. And we talked about this. But if I'm honest, that's where I still see in my heart the, uh, I, I didn't give that away. And we can laugh about it now, but I'll tell you this, it's not always been laugh about it. These are some of the silly little things that have in the past from my own doing contributed to barriers in relationships. Because I'm not finished yet in a, I don't totally look like Christ yet. And when it comes to giving, maybe even this message and you're like, I don't want, you're kind of like me. And we're in need of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we live generously. That we live open-handedly to the Lord. That's with our time. That's with our children. That's with our jobs. To live this way, how does God bless that hand? He freely gives. And as Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, can I say this morning, I don't, I don't know all of you. And even those that I know and love dearly, it all begins with giving you to the Lord. Have you given your heart? Have you given your life to Jesus? He gave himself for you. Have you given your life to him? That's where it all begins. And if you say, Pastor, I'd never have, then I'm inviting you today. Tell God, I admit I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died for me. He gave himself for me. And I'm giving you my life. I confess Jesus as Lord. And worship Jesus. That can happen in your life today if you just cry out to him. Have mercy. For those who know Christ, What does this look like in our lives to be spirit-filled in our stewardship? You work this out. Before God and with those that you love, you work these things out and let's see God do amazing things today and every day this year and the years to come that he gives us in this family. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for your spirit and I thank you that you're patient I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. You are so faithful. Father, I thank you that you have gathered us today to gather around your word and to partake of this meal. I thank you for these people. They're so giving. They're generous. We're filled, Lord, by your spirit. And I pray that you would intensify this, that this would increase and rise in our lives that you will use us for your glory, that you will use us for your honor. Save those who are here without Christ and strengthen and establish all who belong to you. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray, amen.